Oh, hey there, listeners. Good to see you. Welcome back. Well, you might notice a few things are a little different around here. Uh, the first thing you might notice is, uh, well, the apocalypse happened. And uh, I suppose I should probably specify it. It's a zombie apocalypse. <sighs> so basically, everybody's dead. We're all dead people. Well, the undead, I suppose. So things aren't a lot different, but they're different in a few specific ways. For starters, uh, our conversations have gotten a little more simplistic. Welcome, Delve. Sudden violence. Prob pr problematic. Class struggle. So yeah, the conversations are still pretty similar, and we're still capable of being pretty silly at times. Poop joke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I guess that's basically like what our show normally is. So to end it in a normal way, I guess I should pitch in with a, a classic allusion to another beloved film. Cats 2019. Jellico. Bad. fantasy fans and welcome to swords and satire the podcast will return low fantasy in the high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie Mokel. my pronouns are he and him and i am here with my lovable co-hosts well my name's cassidy <laughs> and apparently you have a fancy new accent yeah i like the the banjo you edited in the background too <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> My pronouns are they, them. I already dropped it. Uh, <laughs> I can't keep accents going. It's not my forte. But, uh, oh yeah, I'm uh, like a run-of-the-mill zombie. I'm not named. Okay. Um, oh. it's Even though you just gave yourself a name? Yeah, like amongst my friends, like you have to call me something. Right, okay. right. But like... In terms of like the wider scheme of things, it this is the way to go. You gotta like slide under the radar. Nobody knows you're there. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah, it's it's like pretty cush. Nice. Sounds like a good deal. You don't I guess. Get shot that way. I thought it was the name of zombies who do get shot. Oh shit! Maybe I gotta rethink my whole worldview here. Oh man! Quick. Come up with a name. <laughs> How about D? <laughs> there you go. Oh, I thought you, I thought your name was D's for a sec. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was in a previous life. My name is D's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I love the f sophistication of our show. Yes. Well, that's good. It sounds like it sounds like you can peacefully cruise along, sort of like. Like an undead jellyfish kind of thing. Well, I thought I could, but now I'm worried. Yeah. Better. It's always good to revisit your lifestyle. Just check in to see if it's still working for yeah, you. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. And if the answer is it, it's still good, then it's still good. <laughs> but me personally, well, sticking with our Western theme <laughs> uh, for this Western movie, <laughs> uh, I was one of them 
free ranging uh, corporate employees. And, you know, when the virus, the, the zombie virus got out, a lot of people started in the early days working remotely. And so I, I, yeah. I was lucky enough to have a position oh, to nice. work remote uh in, in my house and uh, well you know i i don't have to go into the office i i mostly just Sweet order deal. most of my food gets delivered by drone not a big deal kind of cool privileged area and uh you know uh, to be honest like this is like the first time i'm really hearing about a zombie apocalypse like i knew there was a virus but like that's it's kind of first time I've heard of it. Last couple of years, I've just been in my house. Wow, that's wild. So, do you have a name? Oh, oh, right. Sorry, I haven't used it in years. <laughs> I'm just an online worker. You know, it's, I haven't spoken to anyone. Uh, my name is Jack Olander, and my pronouns are any and all. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, I put that in my uh, in my LinkedIn profile. Ah, oh, good. Yes. That way somebody will know. That's right. When the zombie horde comes a-calling? Oh, yeah. When they're I think recruiting they're, for more members? I think they're hiring. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, guys, speaking of zombies, this week we're going to be talking about the 2013 film Warm Bodies. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's not a Western. No, I don't think so. <laughs> But it was directed by Jonathan Levine, and it stars Nicholas Holt, Teresa Palmer, and John Malkovich. So there's that. Those all sound like they could be Western names. Fair Thank enough. You. Now, I got a lot I want to say about this film, but before I do that, we should probably let Cass give us a quick summary so that the listeners can remember what's going on in this one. Right, right, right. Or hear it for the first time. Classic R plus J romance here. Oh, I've heard of these. Yeah. It's zombie meets girl. Girl falls for zombie. Girl's dad hates zombie. Zombie. Hates zombie's family. Starts to come back to life and doesn't want to immediately eat girl. Boy zombie kills girl's boyfriend. I almost said girlfriend. Um, <laughs> in a different version of this film yeah you know this was 2013 so not a lot of representation back then nope zombies got a lot of representation yes much um yeah like i said girl falls for zombie <laughs> zombie saves girl girl brings zombie back to her house <laughs> Girl Does she? He just shows up, I thought. Okay, he followed her there, sure. Uh, girl's dad tries to kill zombie boy. Uh, love conquers all. Tale as old as time. Nothing more romantic than a guy following a woman to her house. Classic. <laughs> when he could smell her. That's right. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually remember if that's how it works. No, it isn't. He has the memories of the dead boyfriend. That's so much worse. Men that act like stalkers are sweet, right? We'll talk about that in the dell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, boy zombie comes back to life because love and uh, happily ever after. So once again, the power of true love saves the day. Yay. Well, that was a hell of a summary. Let's move into the Dell, why don't we? Okay. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of warm bodies. Are they? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I guess that's the episode. Yeah. 
Cass wins. <laughs> it's over. Um, so one of the like messages of this movie is that you know people deserve a second chance, unless they don't. Right, then they die. Unless they get their brains eaten. <laughs> That's In which right. case, I guess uh, they were actually jerks all along. Maybe well, not all along. Maybe they became jerks once they were hardened by like so much loss and trauma, and that they didn't get a chance to address and like recover from. Right. That sounds likely. Yeah, because the pe- then they'll turn into monsters that will eat your brains, and they're irredeemable. <laughs> Wait, the zombies are irredeemable. I feel like that's not the message of this. No, film. the bonies are irredeemable. Oh, the boners. Bonies. Yeah. I was talking about Dave Franco. So let's quickly just give a rundown for what boners are. Uh, in this... Uh, it is not our job to educate the listeners on this. Fair enough. Oh, you mean in the movie, bonies. Yes, yes. Bonies, so there are two types of undead in this setting. Yeah. Right. There's the zombies, which are just the people who have been infected and sort of just forgot how to connect to one another. Yeah. Right. And then there are the bonies, or boners, and they are uh, zombies who have peeled all of their flesh off. <laughs> <laughs> they've, like, they've, like, starved, right? Uh, no. They've become oh. more monstrous over time. They eat. It's just they rip their flesh off because they no longer identify with any... Humanity. Okay. Our, in ours internal monologue, he informs us that any one of the zombies could turn into a bony if they forget who they are completely. Okay. That's you. right. Just take a, who put all that dang skin on you? Just take <laughs> it off. I've been trying to get rid of mine for years. That's right. And then you become a hyper violent nihilist. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favorite archetype. Jamie had a interpretation of what the like humans, zombies, and bonies represented politically speaking. Oh boy, time to time to upset a lot of people. <laughs> time to expose your inner demons. <laughs> what? No, I don't know. Who are you gonna call boners, Jamie? <laughs> so. We've got the three camps in the film, right? We've got the humans. Gang. These, the human gang. The human gang. These are, uh, you know, regular folk. Yeah. Not zombies. That are militarized. Well, they are. a lot of them have become militarized thanks to John Malkovich, who is kind of the <laughs> leader, like the de facto military leader who's kind of taken over this walled city that they've built. Yeah, I think Malkovich has that effect on a lot of people. True. Then you've got the, like, run-of-the-mill zombies who are kind of, like, people who have been infected but had, like, very routine lives, right? Like they And they kind of continually, like, have things that they do that are kind of familiar to them, but they can't really do much beyond that. And they're the zombie gang. They're the zombie gang. Then we've got the bonies. The bony gang. The bonies. The boners, as they say. <laughs> the bone brigade. So the bone brigade are these violent, reactionary, kind of like lunatic zombies that don't like it when another zombie is beginning to change and become Alive. Yeah, kind of show signs of life. Like, they seem to not like the living, but they despise zombies who are returning to normal life. And in this setting, apparently you can go from being a zombie to kind of being in this weird fourth camp where yeah. you're like an awakened zombie. Right, where you're alive again, but you're not quite human. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, they're the zombies who are just sort of disconnected or distant from their humanity. And then the bonies who have completely rejected and left behind their humanity. Yeah. So the bonies are this group that doesn't want progress in society, right? They don't want people who are 
traumatized to get better. They don't want people who are like scraping by to have a chance to like elevate themselves and get something new. And it's really hard in this current modern day political climate to not read the bonies as like the worst of the worst reactionary alt-right people. Like your Ben Shapiro fans, your Jordan Peterson fans, your Andrew Tate fans, basically the fans of the worst people alive. Those are your bonies, right? The zombie gang kind of reminded me of people who are like somewhat apolitical. They're kind of on the fence. They could be swayed one way or the other. <laughs> they could become bonies or they could become the awakened zombies. Yeah. And then humans, are, you know, humans in this whole thing, they're weird because humans can be kind of in either camp. They can be like John Malkovich, who is so angry that like violence is all they see, or they can be like Julia and Julie, Julie Juliet <laughs> or Nora, who see a way to progress. Make another life. Exactly. And to accept people who are different from them. Right. Who are, of course, in this case, the regular zombies and then the awakened zombies. The zombies, the regular zombies can talk and have some cognitive function, like, especially when they eat brains, they can, like, have the memories of the people of the brains they ate, kind of like (laughs) iZombie. Right. They don't take on their personality. They just kind of, like, have a brain trip. They just have, like, a memory trip. (laughs) It's true. And similar to the zombies in The Dead Don't Die, these zombies just sort of go about miming their previous life. Yeah, they kind of mimic what they did. Going about some of their old jobs. And they still have relationships. Yeah. They're just very topical. Yeah. and the movie is very much talking about like the loss of like interconnection and community. When R, the main character is remembering how things were before he's talking about how great it was and romanticizing the connections people used to have. But when it's showing that scene of before everyone is just on their phones, no one is interacting (laughs) with one another. Wow. 2013. huh? Yeah. 2013. Was the time for this sort of thing. <laughs> so I think an important thing to keep in mind with this film is that it is not trying to present a like specific believable world, right? This movie is working very much on the level of allegory and metaphor. Yes. Very heavily, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like why do zombies like have the ability to make connections with other people and then like kind of reawaken and like have their heartbeats start again and become mostly alive again, because this is a metaphor about the loss of connection and the need for interpersonal relationships. Yeah. And the catalyst that gets them to kind of come back to life can be different for different zombies, but it's like kind of whatever sparks hope in them again. Yes, exactly. So so like some zombies start to come back to life, when they see R and Julie holding hands. Right, because it gives them kind of a sense that they too can reconnect, and that is like the spark they need. And that's why I'm saying that the bonies are sort of like nihilistic, is hope and interconnection are what bring back most of the average zombies, whereas the bonies are casting aside those same values and leaning into despair. Yeah. And just are willing to destroy anything they don't understand. And they don't even stay like they don't stand for anything. They just have a hunger and it's a drive. Yeah. It's the reactionary thing. Yeah. They see something different that is like unfamiliar to them and they want it to go away and be killed. And yeah, they aren't standing for like, oh, we oppose the living. They just destroy it on sight. I think that there's a parallel between the Bonies and Julie's dad, General Grigio, and how he treats the zombies. 
He sees them all as mindless monsters. And even when Julie tries to tell him that they're not, he doesn't want to hear it. True. Uh, he won't listen to the facts. He <laughs> only believes it finally gets through to him after he's heard his soldiers saying it later on in the movie that zombies are helping them fight the bonies. And then he's like, what the hell? But he, later on, he still shoots R. But then when he, Julie's like, he's bleeding. Right. So once General Grigio sees clear evidence with his own eyes, then he is willing to accept the zombies that are awakening. For some people, it can be really hard to kind of change your frame of mind until something kind of makes you unable to look away. <laughs> right. Well, it was, he was part of a culture that had sprouted up in response to the apocalypse. Yes. Which was the appropriate culture for keeping them alive. He was still living in fear, but that fear had be, like had become a tool he used to survive, but it also became kind of a blinder he put on himself to prevent other people from having the same opportunity that's right he's actually i think he is a character they they show us very slow to change in the film but like we were remarking in the scene where he puts the gun down he's really good at changing like considering it, it he has been like the sole person with the responsibility of keeping this colony of the last humans alive for eight years for eight years and he, like, it is his vision that is keeping people alive. Changing that in that moment must have taken a crazy amount of, like, pressure. Yeah, because he didn't just, like, not keep shooting R. He got on his communicator and told his soldiers to stand down. Well, see, the thing is, General Grigio, John Malkovich, as I like to call him. Yeah. So, you know, the thing about General Grigio is he comes from an understandable perspective to some extent because he is clinging to his last connection with his daughter because his wife was turned into a zombie and he had to, or like, in you know, to some extent, he had to kill her as a zombie and for him to see that the zombies are able to come back, it puts him in the situation where he has to confront the reality that he might have been able to save his wife and he has lost that opportunity because of what he decided to do. I know. So it's like a defense mechanism um, and why he's so staunchly against the zombies and won't change his mind. It takes him a long time to see reason because that way he can, uh, for a while at least, avoid confronting this awful fact. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. And it didn't sound at all like there was a five to ten minute getting food break in there. Nope. Not whatsoever. <laughs> Not even a little bit. And The magic of editing. That's right. And another scene in the movie where this is relevant is early on, R, the main character... Kills and eats Dave Franco's character, whose name is Perry. You can say it too. And oh, that, you mean Perry? Yes, that's the one. And that was Julie's boyfriend. Not Perry's dad, but Perry. Yeah, when he's munching on Perry's brains, he's getting his memories. Like and a zombie would. One of the memories is of Perry and Julie sneaking out to go visit Perry's dad, who is on construction duty building part of the wall, only for them to find that Perry's dad and the entire workforce have been turned into zombies. Zombified, as it were. That's right. And in response to seeing this, well, there, there's a panic as Perry's dad tries to charge him and kill him, and they kill Perry's dad by shooting him. Yeah. And uh, that is... Rough, considering we know that Perry's dad could have been brought back unless he became a boner. <laughs> True. But also, Perry's, Perry's dad, dad... with a real boner. 
Yeah, well, they're in the afterlife together now because Perry's dead also. True. When you eat someone's brain, they can't come back. It's true. Whoopsie, R loved munching on that brain. He knew that uh, Perry wouldn't be able to come back if he did it too, but he just couldn't help those sweet, sweet brains. True. They are like the most delicious part, he said. That's right. He says that because zombies cannot dream because they don't sleep, it's nice to be able to relive people's memories. Yeah, it's like the closest thing they have. That's right. And a lot of their own memories were also gone. Like, the zombies often can't even remember their own names. Yeah. That's right. And you'd think that zombies that rehabilitate into a human would have developed quite a sense of empathy Having gained the memories of so many other lives. True. Yeah. That that tends to make a motherfucker pretty empathetic. That could be in our rewriting history episode. Yes. Zombie Buddha, zombie Buddha. Nice. <laughs> Zomb Buddha. That's going to offend someone. For sure. I think it's fine. <laughs> you wouldn't mind. Technically, he just said it. So did Kang the Conqueror. That's right. So there's still something redeemable about the zombies as opposed to the boners. Yeah, and the movie is pretty explicit when it comes to its view on what has to happen to boners. They cannot be rehabilitated, it seems. You choke them to death until they go away? Uh, I thought they used guns, but maybe. <laughs> okay. They don't breathe, you see. <laughs> right. I was making a lewd joke. Ah, you were talking about, I see. Mm-hmm. But um, we were talking about how the humans don't initially see the zombies as people. Right. I mean, this um, is a fairly classic zombie setup with, of course, very unusual zombies. Yeah. And it becomes clear that the zombies could be stand-ins for all kinds of people that are being othered as well as what we mentioned before, because they're kind of like easily ostracized as monsters and it makes it easier to just commit violence against them. It takes almost no stretch of the imagination to code in any marginalized group as, you know, the zombies being a stand in for. Exactly. Thank you, Jamie. And, um, it just takes a little bit of effort to, of like talking to somebody one on one to see them for their humanity. And um, that's what Julie does with R. And then she realizes that everything that they've been doing, everything that she knows in this new culture that sprung up is wrong and that it needs to change. And uh, she starts spreading that news to her friend and other people start seeing it for themselves, too. And. They kind of, like, start changing things person by person. Yeah, I mean, so much of this film is about empathy, like Jack mentioned, where when you are in a situation where you kind of are forced to confront the humanity of people who you might have previously looked down upon or had animosity towards for whatever perceived reason, it really changes the way that you look at them. Quite literally, in this case. But do you know who has a lot of empathy for artists? I have a guess, but why don't you tell me? It's <laughs> people who support our show on Patreon. Our and, patrons? Yeah, and other people like them. If you want to be like them and support our show, you could go over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and join our community there. That sounds like an awesome idea, and I fully condone it. Me too. Yeah. I approve this message. Because if you like our show enough to go out and check out our Patreon and hop on that, you'll get even more bonus episodes of some of our other creative projects. That's right. Uh, You get some duck art on there. That's right. You get some rewriting history episodes where we come up with a sequel, a reboot, a spinoff, or a remake of a classic film that we've discussed. And you even get to play God by partaking in patron democracy. That's right. Every month we put up a movie poll for our patrons to vote on and they get to pick the movies. That's right. 
and it's a first past the poll system. So whichever one has the most vote wins. So if you don't vote for the most popular one, what are you doing? <laughs> is that the message we want to send? That is the message America sends. Ah, oh, I see. But thank you everyone for listening and thank you to our wonderful patrons who already support the show. That's right. Much like a human and a zombie, we love you. And now back to our discussion. That's a really great point, Jamie. And it brings me to my next point, And that's this movie is a rom-com. It is? Yeah. That's right. And a supernatural rom-com. Ooh, spooky. One part of a rom-com is romance. True. And the other part is communication. That's right. Or calm. <laughs> that's exactly. right. Companies. Uh, computers. Computers. I like computers. Compact mirrors. Trash compactors. And I think that's as funny as the joke is going to get. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about romance then, Jack. Oh, right. I forgot. Uh, <laughs> in a lot of romance media... Mm. It's actually a pretty subtle and difficult category to make in a healthy way. Yes. And this movie does not necessarily tick all of the healthy relationship boxes. That's right. And I just wanted to highlight that we're covering romance, uh, supernatural romance movies this month because it's the month with the love day on it in it. That's right. February is the only month that you're legally allowed to love somebody. Yeah. So. That's right. Thank goodness. So for most of the year, we're all outlaws, is Go. what I'm saying. That's right. Go out and get some drugstore chocolates for someone you care about deeply. <laughs> <laughs> That'll show them. That'll show them. <laughs> In a big old tacky heart box. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And with a heart necklace. That's right. But when it comes to romance media, yes, oftentimes you have to suspend some of your disbelief and accept that if the romance movie is happy, you have to assume that the characters are making healthy, good choices for themselves <laughs> and do not apply that logic to the real world. Or that yes. the, the advances are wanted <laughs> exactly could i venture to guess that part of the problematic issue that you are highlighting here is the fact that r murders julie's boyfriend and eats his brains and then uses the information from that to kind of like fall in love with her uh, and abduct her and gaslight her then he kind of like lets her go or she escapes and then he follows her home and gets her to think that she wants to be with him forever? Yeah, that that's pretty <laughs> much it. You got it. Uh, but it's cute. But it's cute because she's into it. And it's consensual whether or not he asked. Isn't that... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this movie... Lucky him. <laughs> this movie takes an interesting, like, inversion of the Romeo and Juliet story. Yes. Obviously with the character names. I thought this was based on Nomeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> Every movie is based on Nomeo and Juliet. Cool. But here's the thing. In Romeo and Juliet, I don't think there's ever a time when Juliet is like, oh, actually, I don't want to be with this dude because he's, like, awful. We, or, or be, you know, because he, like, murdered my ex-boyfriend, ex-fiance. Yeah. So I understand that movies, especially in the past, but still actually very much to this day, have to contrive some kind of conflict. I don't like it when in a romance film, that conflict is something quite so, like, deal-breaking. Yeah. You mean as killing your ex and eating him? As Julie, like, leaving him, and then he has to kind of, like hunt her down, show up at her house. This is not, for many people in the real world, a romantic gesture. That's right. In the real world, if you think about times when you're not getting along with someone, perhaps you did something to push them away and they 
are distancing themselves from you, maybe as a passing thought, you should do a grand gesture of affection. <laughs> how many of you actually did that? And how did yeah. that go? I'm like, yeah. 100% of the time, I haven't done that. <laughs> right. Now, here's the thing with the context of this movie. The script has to break them up somehow because that's what romance movies do. There's no way for R to like call and leave a message and be like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about what went wrong. He pretty much has to show up or they would have had to have done a flip where Julie decides, oh, actually, I can forgive R. I should go find him. Then we don't get to the place that we need the movie to get to inside the walls and everything. Right. So I understand for the convenience of the plot, the choice that they made. But when we have so many films that reinforce this idea of the grand gesture fixing everything, it does smack as a little troubling. Yeah. Uh, it's not a good message to send. Yeah. Or that he drags her back to his house without talking to her. Not that he could talk to her. And he did quote-unquote, save her in that way. Not really. He also does lie to her by saying that, like, it's dangerous to go out, which isn't totally untrue, but, like, he's trying to keep her with him under false auspices. That's right. He doesn't exactly know what else to do. He can't communicate. This is the thing, though, right? Part of the story of this movie is about a lack of communication and understanding. Yeah. So it works on that level. He actually saves her the moment he puts poop on her face. <laughs> I don't know and... if it's poop. <laughs> it's poop. Okay. It's... <laughs> and that's when they were still at the scene of the battle. And he could have pushed her, let her get away from there. And she would have just gone back to her walled city. Uh, Mourn the loss of her lover. <clears throat> Yeah. And then we wouldn't have a movie. I know. So you're right. Like, I see, like, narratively how they got where they did, but I think there is a better way to do it. There might very well be. But this, like we said, is a supernatural romance movie, or just a romance in general. And when you're going into a romance, there's, like I said, there's that degree of, like, they are destined to be together. So whatever problematic stuff happens <laughs> along the way, you know it is to their benefit for the most part because you know they're going to wind up and be like, quote unquote, happy, happily ever after, right? It's the star-crossed lovers, right? Yeah. I mean, it's literally from the source material. Yeah. So I would say that the choice that I would have rather they made is that for whatever reason... Julie would have been the one to initiate the relationship and R but see then that, it's that's really hard too because that would be wild people want to have sex with vampires <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough fair um, enough everybody loves a sexy frankenstein's monster when you put poop on my face that was so intimate R <laughs> <laughs> Like, the thing is, like, I was going to say, okay, like, let's flip it and then, like, have the female character be the zombie just so we have... But it's like, okay, but, like... That would like, be really good, actually. But it'd be a different movie and it it'd be a be. different casting. Like, Nick Holt does a great job in this role. Teresa Palmer is fine as Julie. Like, the dynamic works with these actors playing these characters. Yeah. It's just that the storyline feels ten years later maybe even at the time, like, this is falling into the same trap of, like, yeah, the guy can kind of lie and do these grand gesture things, and in the end, the girl sees it as being romantic, and everything's fine. Well, I think their, like, attempt at being feminist was having her save him multiple times later in the movie. Yeah, possibly. I mean, right. she has a lot of agency in this film. Yeah, it's just undermined early on. And like, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for this film for a, a great deal of it. But I can also see why somebody might view it and be like, oh, this is definitely sending a troubling message. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But Cass, 
There was an interpretation of the text that you had in mind. Yeah, well, it kind of came to me more later in the movie when she was protecting him. And when I was starting to interpret the zombies as like groups that can be othered. And so I was seeing that you could insert a queer reading into this film and uh, see him as like her trans boyfriend. Wow, I don't think you've ever like mentioned anything like this before. <laughs> no, no, no. It's kind of a revelation. <laughs> yeah. We um, queers love our allegories. <laughs> yeah. So talk yeah. a little bit about this trans allegory for R. Well, we're like sphinxes and riddles. <laughs> he doesn't ascribe to like the normal gender roles and he's kind of like gender fluid in a way. They they have this makeover scene where they put makeup all over him. Right. To to make him blend in with mm-hmm. the expected role that he should fit in society. And um her father like initially rejects him for what he is true and uh she's there as his ally like talking about how he's valid too and like how her dad should give him a chance and see him for who he is you know yeah and i just also loved thinking about them in this context as they were running around together holding hands (laughs) it was fun oh yeah there's definitely that reading uh, when we look at the makeup scene, I thought that was an example of how in 2013, <laughs> uh, you know, the gender discussion wasn't quite as popular back then. Sure. Yeah. And so I thought that was one of those sort of anti-queer jokes. Okay. That was just like, because when they're like, let's do a makeover, he's like, No. Right. He said, he's like, Isn't no it way. silly that we're putting this boy in makeup? That was the mm. joke. Right. Because, again, it's a romantic comedy, and that the joke in that scene is it's a boy getting a makeover. Right. And yeah. so I like the queer reading a lot more, which is more of like a modern reading. But back in 2013, it was like, haha, You're men right. aren't supposed to be feminine. It's interesting, though. I'm sure we've talked about it on the show before, and I know we've talked about it in our personal lives, where some films that, or some stories that have messages that might have been, like, queerphobic, kind of find this new life, right? And this new reading in a more modern setting. Another John Malkovich film, Con Air. Oh, yeah. Has a trans woman who's a prisoner in on the Con Air, the convict airplane that the film is named for and the joke seems to be like oh the intended joke seems like it was probably going to be oh isn't it like crazy that these prisoners treat this woman as a woman right oh isn't that crazy but then throughout the film all of the characters respect her gender identity they objectify her a bit, but, like, she seems to be into it. It's affirming. Like, it's affirming, <laughs> yeah. Like, she... It works. She <laughs> is using her sexuality in a way that is empowering to her. And, yeah, and the people around her affirm it. And, like, they're supposed to be the villains, but they're acting like we would want people today to act. Yeah. They're scandalous in other ways. Sure. They're, they're good allies. But, like, I don't think that... I mean, maybe that was supposed to be a queer positive representation. I don't know. I'm just guessing it's not because that's a movie from the 90s. But when you watch it, then it's like, oh, look at these guys like being really supportive of their friend, affirming her gender identity and like participating in her life in a yeah. positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. They, they weren't doing it to belittle her or bully her. They were just seeing her for who she was and so it was really easy to interpret it as just positive and supportive watching it now (laughs) yeah that's right and i think a healthier way to look at this scene from warm bodies would be that 
like traditionally makeup is a more feminine expression of gender. Sure. And so in a in a in a newer world, he would just be rejoicing in his masculinity and that's why it would be dysphoric for him to wear makeup. Okay. And that is kind of the joke, but since masculinity is the norm in our culture in a patriarchal toxic way, it's played for giggles in a not positive light. I I feel the need to point out that it might have roots this aversion to makeup and seeing it as a feminine thing might be a relic from the Renaissance period when uh, nobles would wear makeup, especially in France, and it you could wear makeup as a man or a woman. High heels were originally a men's fashion uh, choice to keep the hems of your like robes and your stockings clean from mud. Yeah, that's but right. But it's possible that it was like a class struggle issue and like seeing. It has a decadent thing that aristocrats did. And like, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm just extrapolating that. Yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, I've definitely seen some memes of like Renaissance femboys being the ideal form of masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think in an ideal world, maybe in the future, these sort of like, I don't want to wear makeup jokes like you can still make them, but they'll have different cultural connotations. It this is just a product of when it was made that it doesn't land very well currently. Yeah. That's fair. Well, guys, this has been a great discussion, but I think it's probably time for us to head into the Smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 zombie teeth? Heck yeah, I do. Let me tell you, my my epic moment or feature, it's got to be when R comes back to life. Okay. Nice. Like the climax of the movie. <laughs> Uh, I, everyone to... loves a good climax. You mean That's when right. they're in the fountain? Yes. When R sacrifices himself to save her, and instead of killing him, he comes back to life as a person again. Yeah. As a human again. I think that's epic. They finally get their kiss. She never kissed him while he was a dead body. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> um, Maybe there's something in that, like... It's like the ultimate show of love to sacrifice yourself for someone else. We are in a Christian-inspired, martyr-loving society. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, sacrificing yourself for a loved one is sort of what we often consider a huge form of noble expression of love, right? Us living in a death cult. Yes. Yes! <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I like romance in my media. I like silly hee-hee-ha-has. This movie is pretty good feeling. You walk away from this not wanting to become a bony. Uh, True. Hopefully. Because then you would have committed a boner. That's right. True. And uh, there's a time and a place for those. And, <laughs> and yeah, I just... It was what you had been watching the movie, waiting for. It's yeah. the scene where you get the payoff. It's it, like, <laughs> it's very silly. And it, at times it's cute. At times it's problematic. And in the end, it ended up feeling positive and good. Yeah. I enjoyed that there was a happy ending. Plus you complete the inversion of the Romeo and Juliet story, where instead of in the end, they both die. It's in the end, they both found new life yeah and this is a happily ever after sort of ending and i really appreciate that because we don't you know it can be hard to make those interesting and i think that's one of the reasons we don't get a ton these days i appreciated it now when i'm looking at the movie as a whole some of the jokes are outdated the romance is a little you know not a good role model 
but like there are parts of it that are still really interesting like living another's memories and how that would affect your relationship to a living person if you had all the memories of loving someone from another's perspective that would make things weird and complicated yeah it would yeah so i think that's conceptually really interesting zombies coming back to life through love is like it sounded really silly at the time and it is silly, but it's interesting, too, and kind of touching. Yeah. yeah. And the message of community and connecting saves people is really cool. And so there are a lot of themes that I like, certain parts of it that I don't like. Uh, I think this is my third time watching the movie, and I want to see it again. Yeah. Uh, Always a good sign for Jack. So, I, you know, I'm probably going to slap it at a, what are we rating it out of? Brave? Zombie teeth. Zombie teeth. I'm going to rate it uh, six zombie teeth and a chipped zombie tooth. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it is right in there between six and seven. It could go either way on a good or bad day. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely a product of the past, but it's one that there is some joy to be found in. So 6.5 teeth. Teeth out of 10 teeth. Nice. <laughs> That's a totally fair rating. What about you, Cass? What's your epic moment or feature? And then your rating from one to ten zombie teeth. My epic moment was and still is the makeover scene. Mm-hmm. Totally fair. I know that the joke doesn't age well, but I personally just love that there's a makeover scene in a zombie movie it's funny <laughs> yeah that is fun that was the funny part of it to me and you can um understand like the problematic joke for what it is but like there's still something you can get out of it you know sometimes we are resistant to something early on that we end up liking and our initial reaction we find to be incorrect I mean, I think that was ours experience because later on, after everything's calmed down, it's like another day. He's still wearing the fucking makeup. There you go. So I think he actually loved it. He and, just had to get there. Right. He had to get past the limiting masculinity that he had been raised with. I mean. <laughs> As a young zombie. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, Julie said he looked hot. Yeah. And he liked that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we just need the right motivation. That's right. And he got support from his peers, like you're saying. Yeah. Affirmation is a powerful motivator. Yes. Yeah. So in my head canon, there's still a a trans boyfriend with a cis girlfriend. And they're in love. Oh. And it's beautiful. As a movie, I agree with a lot of what Jack said. Uh, Some parts of it don't age well, but it does have some good messages in there that still resonate for me today. It's also fun, even though the romantic part can feel really cringy at times. Fair (laughs) enough. So, yeah, I was also thinking I'm going to give it six out of ten zombie teeth, just because it's kind of like near the middling there for me. And I would totally watch it again, but I might need a little bit more time. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, the romance is pretty, like... Sometimes it's funny just how shocking it is that she is, like, being quirky and flirty with a, a dead person. It's just like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? You and I are like, oh, God, every time. Because <laughs> she keeps, like, looking looking down and then, like, looking up while still sort of, like, being, like, coy and yeah. flirtatious. It's like, what's happening? Is that a little bit of blood on his mouth? Hmm. <laughs> Here, let me get, let me wipe that off of your lip for you, sort of. I know, I was like, stop, just stop it right now. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? Um, But yeah, what about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment or feature and your rating from one to ten zombie teeth? Yeah, let us know, Jamie. Well, thanks for asking. (laughs) I'm going to say that my epic feature is M. Oh. Ours friend. Yes, didn't even mention him yet. I know. I know. It's kind of a huge loss. We should probably go back and re-record the episode. Let's You're start right. over. You're right. So <laughs> M is played by Rob Corddry, who is absolutely brilliant in this part. Really fun. Really expressive <laughs> for a zombie. 
bitches, man. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, like that is one of my favorite lines in the movie and obviously very problematic, but it is his attempt to be supportive. I don't like that he has to do it in a misogynistic way, but like I understand the essence of that line. It is still funny in its problematicness. Yeah. Yeah. I assume that M is a reference to Mercutio from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. I think that's Romeo's too. cousin, who's like a really good friend who kind of dies for his cousin, uh, who's a brilliant character, who kind of is the one in the play who is one of the characters who earlier on expresses how the violence is ridiculous right it's like a curse on both of your houses at this point i'm dying in his in his dying monologue or dying soliloquy really he is pointing out that this violence is a cycle that will keep on now m in the film is a lot different and he's kind of the one who rallies the more sentient zombies to help R once he sees the hope that they can be more and he sees that hope spreading exactly and it's beginning to in a positive way infect or permeate their culture yeah this idea that like okay there is a way out there's something better because they crave connection right like early on in the movie r and m are meeting at a airport bar and like they want to say something to each other but they can't they yeah. don't know how. They don't have the tools. They don't have the vocabulary. But they have the yearning for it. Mm-hmm. And that is why I love the character of M. Because he represents this desire to be more that just doesn't have an outlet for it. And once he finds that outlet, he is like, like other than R, the next one to be all in on this. Yeah. And I just think Rob Corddry really does a wonderful job in this part. I think it's really fun. Great role. Agreed. Really enjoyable. Yeah. So on a whole, I'd already locked in my number before anyone else said anything. I am going to give this movie a 6 out of 10 zombie teeth. It is a cut above average. It does some really unique, fun things. You've got to watch it as an allegory, not as like a world building type of thing. Right. If you try to logic it, you're just going to be like, this is ridiculous. Because it is. These zombies are the living dead who come back to life because of true love. But if you do that, you'd end up missing what are the like important messages and like the merits of the movie. Exactly. You're watching a zombie romantic comedy. Uh, you, you gotta chill. Where the, <laughs> zom- where the zombie is the love interest. That's right. So, you gotta just relax, yeah. buddy. <laughs> you gotta chill. And you know, for some people who feel like they might not be able to look past some of the problematic elements, I'll never tell you that you're wrong. You know, live your life. Do what makes you comfortable. I think, though, that it's a fun rom-com that does a few things that are pretty unique and you know, builds off of some classical source material in, like, a fun way. It's a Romeo and Juliet story that doesn't go the usual route of, like, ignoring the original story. Right. And it doesn't go the route of just retelling it. Yeah, they really uh, put effort into making it unique, and you gotta commend them for that. Yeah. That's right. If you think having sexual tension with a zombie is cringe... (laughs) Then I bet you also think that Aquaman's power to talk to fish is cringe. And to to both of those things, I'll tell you, you know, you don't know what you're missing. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Right from the horse's mouth. But people definitely shouldn't miss our episode next week because we're going to be covering another supernatural romance movie. Oh, God. Not the next Twilight. No, I never even thought of it. I watched um, that yesterday. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but what we're going to be watching is Only Lovers Left Alive. Ooh, I can't wait to talk about that one with you guys. Yeah, samesies. But if yes. people... <laughs> <laughs> but hey, if you need to get more swords and satire fixed before then, you can always follow us on social media and check out all the memes on there for the movies we talk about. 
Those memes are so silly. They're so funny and silly. They're silly and funny. And fun. I do what I can, guys. And if you want to check that out, you can head to Facebook, Instagram, or the zombified corpse of Twitter and check out (laughs) at Swords and Satire. And if you want to find out more about us, you can head over to our freaking website. Oh, fuck. It's simply swordsandsatire.com. And that links to a lot of stuff. So go check it out. There's lots of cool stuff there. There's pictures. There's links. There's a links? That's right. And those pictures, <laughs> you'll get to see what our faces sound like. Yeah. Finally. I've been wondering that for years. And there's also a link to our Patreon there in case you missed the plug earlier. <laughs> That's right. Patreon really helps us out. but. Another way you can help us out is tell people about the show. Darn tootin'. Infect them with the zombieism of swords and satire. That's right. Don't be a boner. Go tell people about the show. We pretty much only advertise by word of mouth. And so uh, this show, this movie has taught us to build up our community to keep in touch with our humanity. And art does just that. Show, Share the stuff that you love with the people that you love. Hey guys, I just realized that the real Walking Dead were actually the humans. The, the zombies <laughs> were the most humane characters in this film. I'm confused. We should start all zombie media over. Good point. But before we do that, I would just like to say, Hail, Hail Crom! Crom!